Hello and welcome to the final lockdown edition of Keeping It Current. But keep your eyes peeled for a new bloopers episode released alongside this episode. We'll also be back with a special roles reversed episode where myself and Jacob swap roles for one episode only. So keep an eye out for that. I, I've, you got some plans for that yet, Jacob? I've got lots of plans. Thomas first mentioned this a month ago, and I'm not lying when I say I'm really, really excited for it. I've got a couple of plans. I need to to get a few more things. I realise how 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 good of a job Thomas does, and I I fear that I'm not going to be able to fill his large footsteps. But certainly we'll try. And if the failure is comedic, then it will still have some value. You mentioned I have large footsteps too. I actually have quite small feet, so no. Little wide feet, size eight. Uh, okay, uh, <laughs> on to this week. Uh, this week we're talking all about the local lockdown in Leicester, as well as the introduction of air corridors. We also have a special guest interview with Angelina Sherbakova, who's giving her view on the current situation. Plus, we have the return of political singer and Jacob Reed is in, on hand with some tip-top, top-notch political analysis. <laughs> Apparently so. Apparently so. I, I think that, that, that would have sounded more genuine if you didn't laugh after saying tip-top, top-notch political analysis. Ah, well. Okay, so let's get cracking then. First, we're talking about the local lockdown in Leicester. On Monday night, it was announced that the city of Leicester was going into a local lockdown with restrictions being re-implemented. This was due to a big spike in infections over the last week, with 10% of all positive cases in the country being in Leicester. Jacob, do you think that this was the right decision to take by the government? Yeah, I think there seems to be a consensus that, that it was, because ultimately if you've got a place where things are spiraling, spiraling out of control, where the, the R rate, the rate of infection is above one, then a couple of things can happen. You can you can do nothing, you can take a laissez-faire approach, and it will inevitably uh, spread throughout the country, and more lives will be lost, and, and the... Uh, and lockdown would need to be reintroduced at a national level, or you can try to nip it in the bud, or, or what, what Boris has referred to it, a whack-a-mole. I think the bigger question is, was the timing right? There is a lot, of, there has been a lot of criticism that it took, I think it's 11 days between um, the, the, the Department for Health first flagging Leicester as mm. a place of concern with a rising number of cases, a high number of cases, and between the implementation of lockdown. There have been uh, complaints by the BMA, the British Medical Association, among others, saying that the, 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 the centralised uh, government has not been sharing the information with the local government of the local experts has been police saying that they didn't have guidance through about how to impose the local lockdown, about even what the local lockdown was until after Matt Hancock had made the announcement. So you might say that these sorts of issues are yeah. inevitable as teething issues because this is the first proper local lockdown. But you could also say they've been too slow, communication was not good enough and 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 in terms of my personal opinion, I think it's, I think it was ridiculous almost to see yeah. Matt Hancock standing in the House of Commons announcing a local lockdown in Leicester. I mean, that's not, I don't think, a decision that in a in an optimal system would be made by the 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 Secretary of State for the whole of England or indeed for the, in the UK government. That should be a decision taken in the local area by the local experts. And I think I've said it before and I'll say it again, places like Germany and even America, although obviously some of them are lunatics over there, they have they have a federal system whereby the states are leading the charge. And I think that that's something we're lacking. And I think it's, it's something that again, reared its head. It did when London was so far ahead of the UK in the number of cases. It did when Scotland and Wales were moving at different paces, and again it has now with Leicester's local lockdown. Um, yeah, um, just also going about Matt Hancock, I think he did mix up 
Keithley and Kirk Lees, but he said, but Keithley's pretty bad, but he's actually Kirk Lees, so imagine if you just put the wrong face in lockdown. It's like... Easily done. Easily done. Okay, to go back onto the about the police. So they said that they were not issued a map of the area affected by the UK's first local lockdown until well after the announcement. Lord, will he back? <laughs> the um, Peace and Crime Commissioner for Leicester. Oh my God, that's a bad one. Uh, said the information has now been issued but law enforcement has received minimal guidance on the tighter restrictions. So, Jacob, just to go on again, what do you make of this? Because they haven't been given the guidance. They haven't... I I think they saw the Director of Public Health for Leicestershire on a press conference yesterday. He was going, like... He was quite... Um, he was a bit scathing by saying that we haven't had the figures from the Department of Health. We need to get the figures, stuff like that. And we haven't got the figures where the outbreaks come from yet. And they the whole list has been gone back to square one effectively yeah and i i think i think there have been serious concerns about the way in which the government has communicated this and one thing that i think is unfortunate is that they stopped the daily press conferences last week um and i I think that's a big loss now they said it's because they will call press conferences on an ad hoc basis when they have something they need to say when they have something they need to announce and frankly you would think a local lockdown in leicester is something for which they would call a press conference and they didn't but the thing is as well the the purpose of those press conferences wasn't wasn't a one-way briefing where ministers would stand and say their piece and then waltz, waltz off to wherever they would go. No, you then had questions from a public and the journalists, them asking the questions. And, and I, think, I, I, I think it's very possible that pressure would have built earlier on the government to impose a local lockdown in Leicester if they had still been doing daily press conferences and they would have been forced to be clear on it because if they, if people had asked, if journalists had asked, okay, where exactly is covered in the lockdown? It's not a good look for, for our, 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 our mate, Matthew Hancock to just say, I'm not really sure. I'll tell you, I'll tell you in a bit. Um, so I think, I think that's something that the government will be criticized for. Well, Jacob, I didn't know you were mates with Matthew Hancock, but well, a man can dream, can he not? <laughs> um, just to go on again about um, the um, whole situation, it, it is rather baffling, especially when you have yesterday the um, Boris's big bill, bill, bill speech. You know, the another one, the free let, the free word slogan from Mr. Cummings's slogan box, um, and that's I didn't feel I felt a bit pointless in a way because. It was only announcing five billion pounds of extra funding compared to all these people in Leicester going through all this trauma again. It's it's quite confusing, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think I think um, in terms of money for Leicester, there are questions. I think there are unanswered questions about our businesses in Leicester that are being forced to shut again. Are they going to get extra support? Um, from the from the treasury, uh, and and the answers unclear. Um, but yeah, but Boris, he 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 loves history. I think he he's written a few a few history books. He wrote one about Churchill, and so he's drawn comparisons between his announcement yesterday and President Roosevelt's mm-hmm. New Deal in America in the nineteen thirties and forties after the, uh, the 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 Wall Street collapse but they're absolutely incomparable because the majority of what Boris announced and we use that term very very loosely had either already been announced so it was just being summarized again or it was promised in the manifest and the manifesto of last last December so it wasn't new funding um and, and so I don't know if 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 he's using this kind of build back better platform and he's going to add more things to it. I don't know if we're going to see Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, in an upcoming budget really go 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 crazy yeah, with a magic because, money tree. Because uh, Keir Starmer's called for that back to work budget, hasn't he? In several uh, yeah. 
I mean, the Social news the news is ticking through now about uh, every day really about companies that are laying off a thousand workers here. There's seventeen hundred workers there, and this is kind of where we get to see the limitations of the coronavirus job retention scheme or, or the, the furlough scheme where the government's been paying 80% of the wages of employees. It's it's possible that lots of employees have been kept on like that, so they've been well supported up to this stage. But when businesses are going to have to start contributing, maybe maybe they're just not going to be able to do it and they're going to, to make the layoffs. And so things could get a lot worse, in which case maybe the focus on jobs will inevitably become even more acute. The other, the other the flip side to that is maybe to say that the, the people who are still on their company's books now, well, those companies are the strong ones. They've weathered the hardest uh, storm. Things are, things are getting back to normal. But it'll be interesting to see, and it's an, an evolving picture. Certainly something to keep your eyes on in the next few months. So now it's time to talk about the introduction of air corridors. At the weekend, it was announced that the UK had arranged air corridors with several countries, including Spain and Germany. This means that when you travel to any of these countries, you won't have to self-isolate on arrival or return. Jacob, what are your opinions on the lifting of the quarantine rule? Uh, I think clearly it will make a big difference um, for the people who want to go on holiday, because if you've got to quarantine in your hotel room for two weeks when you've arrived there, but that's, um, that's not going to be the most exciting time. Although, having said that, you know, get get the uh, all-inclusive alcohol going and who knows where you'll end up. Um, but, but then as well, if you, another two weeks quarantine when you get back in the UK, people can't do that. Maybe maybe they could if they're working from home, but if you work in a, in a, in a shop, if you're a key worker, you couldn't. And it's probably undesirable. Many you, people would say, well, I'd like to go on holiday. Or if you work in a, Hotel Chocolat. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but many people would say that that was, it was more unpalatable, spending two weeks in quarantine after a holiday than just not going on holiday at all. So I think this, this, this will certainly open up opportunities to go holidaying and it does it does make sense um, if if you know they, holidays have to start again at some point and the tourism industry will and um, hospitality industry will be begging begging mm-hmm. for it and uh, if if it's deemed safe to do so then then all the better there's something to go out about this i was quite interested just to see that boris johnson kind of fully got the uk tourism industry going because obviously places like the Lake District or Cornwall or the Peak District, they haven't had that time yet of people coming coming to stay there. And while he's gone, that's that he's going to willingly let people go abroad and they're going to contribute money to their economy while our tourism industry might be suffering because of that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, certainly... Um you know, our tourism industry will still benefit from people going abroad because you've got lots of people employed as travel agents, you've got um, our guys employed as reps abroad, blah, blah, blah. But but you're right, but the flip side of that is is the people running hotels and B&Bs and linked to those restaurants and, and whatever else in the UK. But I do think uh, there will be a surge of people going on holidays uh, d- domestically in the UK for uh, either the place they want to go isn't on the list of places with air bridges or they're just they're, they're nervous about for example being on a trip uh, on a plane in such a confined environment um, and and they'll decide well it's better than nothing we'll go to Bournemouth I hear they have a nice beach certainly <laughs> lots of people have told me that I think Brighton's looks a bit more horrible. They've got one with like, all stones on. When <laughs> you see the oh. pictures of them, they're on like Bank Holiday Monday, where it's if it's a warm one, like about twenty five degrees, and like how on earth do you sit on them stones? I would. I don't know. Yeah, I, and certainly you, you need some sort of flip flops or Crocs. Yeah, uh, you know my my personal style. I do like a good pair of Crocs. And then you put the socks on as well, so you're wearing socks with crops. I think it's going to really catch on. 
Um, yeah, you just got to think people will have sore bums after sitting on them. I think Jacob likes rather tight swimming trunks as well. <laughs> oh, no. Shall we explain to the ladies and gentlemen? Uh, no, no, we won't explain. Okay. That's not very ominous. We just we went we went swimming a group of us and we'll leave it we'll leave it at that. But I do have a very fun memory of Thomas sitting on an inflatable swan while a, while a dog ran ran up and <laughs> and 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 was barking its head off yeah, at yeah, Thomas and all the swan. Absolutely hated the swan. Yeah. I, 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 well, we I, think it was a swan. It could have been you, Thomas. It might have been. Yes, it might have been Dick. Okay. As a result, <laughs> as a result of this. Holiday bookings are going through the roof. Yes, uh, let's just not forget Jacob's horrible pun last week where we were saying about convertible. Thank you, thank you. Convertible going through, sales going through the roof, yeah. Well, I'm just going to say that if you can remember that pun a week after it happened, then I'm doing something right. <laughs> okay, TUI Managing Director Andrew Finton said that we've already seen bookings increase by 50% this week. Versus last week, with with holidays to Spain and Greece looking the most popular this summer. While lastminute.com said it experienced an 80% increase on holiday sales compared to last week, largely attributed to the announcement of Spain lifting the quarantine for Brits. Jacob, do you think that going on a broad holiday is entirely safe for people, given that they've got this traffic light system introduced, the green, the red, the amber, and the fact that a lot of these... Destinations like Spain and Italy, they had horrific um, scenes during the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Well, yeah, so I mean, to, to, to start with those figures you're citing, it shows what a jump there has been because of the, because of the announcement of air corridors. But we kind of take them with a pinch of salt because um, actually... Um, bookings for holidays will have been at an all-time low. So an 80% jump is, is significant, but but we don't know how that compares to normal time. And equally, it might be that um, a lot of people uh, had booked holidays, then had them cancelled, and then a rebooking. So it might not be the, the case that those are new bookings to say. But yeah, the, the question of safety. Um, in terms of Italy and Spain... We, they, we, we, we remember seeing how badly hit they were. But what we've got to remember is that in Europe, it was us. The UK was and, and is the country that was the most badly hit. So the question in most people's minds um, on the continent will actually be, is it safe to let the Brits come here? Not, is it safe yeah. here for the Brits to come? Um, I think what will be... What will be interesting is to see what sort of social distancing measures will be in place and how how well they're enforced, how well they're adhered to, and whether people feel like that's a price worth paying to go on holiday, which I, I think many people many people would. Aha, uh-huh, indeed. So now it's time to talk about the other news. In Parliament this week, Theresa May voiced her discontent over the appointment of David Frost as the new National Security Advisor. David Frost is seen as a close ally of Boris Johnson. There is much uproar over what is seen as a political appointment, given that David Frost is one of the chief negotiators of EU trade deals. So, Jacob, what's your opinion on this appointment of like somebody who's very close to um, the government in terms of polit- politically, and this is a role of a top civil servant isn't it yeah i mean theresa may certainly was making that argument was that it was maybe more of a political decision than uh, than a decision based on his particular merits i think it fits into a broader trend that we have seen with this government in in its uneasy relationship with the civil service uh, you had the um, most senior civil servant in the Home Office just a couple of months ago announce his resignation, not just his resignation, but that he would be suing uh, because of Pretty Patel's bullying behaviour. That's what he alleged. And now you've got now you've got this case. 
and it seems like it's a government that's that's not just willing to ruffle some feathers in Whitehall, but quite actively wants to do it. Dominic Cummings, who we all know now is such a big, a big has such a big influence in government, has written and spoke about previously at length of reforming Whitehall of allowing in, I don't have an exact quote, but allowing in weirdos, strangers and misfits. Um, whether, well, whether this will help the government deliver its agenda, whether it's just a distraction, whether they think these things are politically convenient, it's, it's hard to tell. But it, it was interesting that Theresa May made that intervention because she has... Uh, the prime, prime ministers generally, when they, when they step down, they leave Parliament altogether... Um, and and when they don't, they tend to keep a low profile. So this is only one of a couple of interventions Theresa May has made in the year since she stood down. So clearly she felt it was important enough to, to warrant that. Yes, indeed. Also, it's been announced that GCSE and A-level pupils, A-level pupils like ourselves, can sit exams if they don't like their calculated grades. Head teachers are concerned about this though, as they are not sure how a whole set of exams can be fitted into the autumn term. Never mind thinking about social distancing rules. So Jacob, do you think that this is going to be possible in terms of fitting it in while the curriculum is still going on for the other exam students that are still there, still at the school? Yes, I think I think um, for us, if they're, if they're, if as A level students, for us, if they're in October, uh, I'll be going to university in the middle of October. Thomas, you'll already be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that raises certain questions. Yeah, the about, fact well, that if you're wanting to go and do like, even though you might have the grades that you need, you might not. Um, the grades you want so say Jacob got an A in politics that's enough to get him into the PPE but um, um, if he because he'll want an A star and the fact is that um, will the university accept that given that you've already got your place that you would want to go and strive to get a better grade uh, would they accept that you were allowed to enter later in the year that's one of the big questions I think yeah and I think I, I mean I think from my perspective I would then I would feel that if it was really at the start of October, well then then I'd be happy to do that. But as soon as it gets closer to univer- going to university or at university, as much as you might feel hard done by by a particular grade or that you could do better or that you'd want to at least try to do better then you'd have so many other things on but it it might just not not be realistic to do there's the other question of course that if uh, you are starting university in the middle of september and you get your grades in august and they're not good enough they don't meet the offer you think they're unfair you think that if you resit the exam in the autumn sitting then you'll be able to get a better grade which will meet your offer um but 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 what happens then does the university realize that this is an unprecedented situation and let let the show leniency and let that person in anyway do they let that person in but make it conditional on them taking that exam the month after and then kick kick them out if they don't get the exam do they just say i'm, I'm sorry no it's not going to work so there are all these questions and equally for the for the uh, 11s they'll be a month or two into their a level studies it would be it would be surely quite hard for them to be juggling all of that with revising for exams in ter- so, so these are just some of the practicalities in terms of social distancing I, i've read that they're considering bubbles social bubbles of up to 240 people for going back to school in, in, which sounds ridiculous when at the minute a bubble i think the most is is 15 for a classroom and then uh, or two households but the idea then is that year groups would be 240 would be enough for one year group the year groups would be kept separate somehow staggering lunches and not mixing in clubs and stuff and if one person in the year group tested positive then the whole year group would have to go home self-isolate so i mean i think um i i I think it's hard to pass judgment on the way they're doing 
for grades until we see how they've been done and do a majority yeah, of people. If, if Jacob gets a C in maths, you know, it's obviously wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, Mrs. Ford would have been too generous. It would have been a D otherwise. Um, but but I think um, I I one one comment I read that that I think resonated with me is that exams can be absolutely brutal. You can have two students who have performed equally throughout the two years of the A level course or the GCSE course, and come the day of the exam. One of them has hay fever, so they blow their nose in the exam and that puts them off and, and gives them less time. Or, you know, one of them has an absolute mind blank or, or makes a silly mistake. And ultimately, the exam will then discriminate between those two people. One might get an A and one might get a B, when really they were in the eyes of the teachers and then all mm. of their friends. They were, they, they, they were inseparable. Yeah. So... An exam can discriminate like that in a way that seems harsh for a teacher to do and for the exam board to do. So the question is, will they do that? How will they do that? Yeah. How will people respond to that? Also, just to say about that, it will also discriminate in the way of that the people who may have improved over the two years started low and got higher. And if you think if the teachers are going like. Right, over the two years, they were really about to start, but they got to a B. But they might have improved even further and got an A in that final exam. That's obviously might it's it's going to be difficult, and it's certainly going to be interesting come the thirteenth of August. Yeah, and I think I think um, I I think that's right. Like you'll have some people who inevitably would kind of chug along throughout two years and then in in that last in those last few weeks before the exam they would work really hard and blitz it and do really well and so the teachers are making a judgment not just on how students perform throughout the one and a half years but how they would continue to work and in in that case you're putting a lot of uh, a lot of weight on teachers decisions and ultimately some teachers will know their students Better if you're at like Quegs, for example, the sixth form and the, the the lower school are the same. So a lot of us have had teachers for three, four, five years. We know them really well, and there isn't a high turnover of teachers. Yeah, I, I've not got a teacher, uh, or I didn't have a teacher who who had just joined and had known me for like half a year. Um, but I, I think, and I wonder what you think about this, Thomas. I, th I think it shows how dependent the system has become on exams. And I think when we get the results, providing it goes well, it could add weight to the argument of people who say, no, there's too much focus on exams. It's, it's, they're arbitrary, uh, it's too much pressure, it's all at once, it's unrealistic, and coursework needs to make your yeah. turn, or, or no, no exams at all even. Yeah, because um, you think about it, say about the coursework, because um, well, we were the first GCSE year group without the coursework and stuff like that, we were one of the first. And in terms of that, it wouldn't, the people who may say, um, Joe Bloggs has been getting A's in their exams every year and then has a really bad cold on the uh, day of the exam or has um, had some emotional trauma or something like that, and they would have had that coursework to back them up. And if they'd been getting A for a year and they only got like a C or something like that. And it's obviously going to be very difficult. And I think it's about time to move on to the next point. <laughs> <laughs> point taken, Mr. Oh, obviously, it's very interesting to us given that we're right in the thick of this. But, I mean, let's go into the next point. Uh, it's also been revealed that 727 EasyJet pilots are at risk of redundancy due to the coronavirus pandemic. The airline also says it's looking to the, at the closure of three of its bases in the UK, Stansted, Luton and Newcastle, although those bases would remain part of its route network. Jacob, do you think that the return of holidays, as we mentioned before, will help the airlines and stop these redundancies, or do you think they'll continue, given the massive financial hits? I think, I think, unfortunately, I think they're likely to continue, even when holidays do get up and running again. And inevitably, there's a lag between them. Lots of people, we're at the start of July now, 
unbelievably another month has gone but we're at the start of July now there's inevitably a lag between people booking holidays now and going on them at the end of August or the start of September and I, I think um, I, I, I don't know but I think a lot of airlines for example will be employing some sort of social distancing so they, they won't be running at full capacity and I think unfortunately it might make business sense to think in the short term well we're not using these pilots we don't need them we'll lay them off and if the demand does increase which is which everyone's hoping happens in this sort of bounce back miraculous economic bounce back then they could hire them again yes indeed it's going to be very interesting about the redundancies and um, obviously what's going to happen post further as i think you mentioned beforehand um, so now it's time for this week's special guest interview with Angelina Sherbakova. So please give a big welcome to this week's special guest, Angelina Sherbakova. Hello, Angelina. Hi, Thomas. It's great to have you on. Uh, I'll just call you Dibby for the purposes of this recording because that's what you, that's what your nickname, isn't it? That sounds good today. So, uh, how have you been finding lockdown then? By and large, fine, really. Yeah, depends what you compare it to. If we're comparing it to everyday life with our public houses and school, then it could be better. <laughs> so, um, comparing it to being in a hospital, then I'm quite, I'm quite good. <laughs> so, have you? But I hear your Wednesdays. I, I, I hear. Sorry, I hear you've been spending Wednesdays with with a hot piece of man meat. Is that David Tennant you're spending Wednesdays with? I haven't had a chance to meet David Tennant, sorry. <laughs> I don't know where you've had that from. Oh, no, okay. Of course, it's because me and Dibby have been meeting up every week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's um, so weird, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, sorry. Uh, Dibby, so uh, have, have you picked up any new hobbies during lockdown? Oh, believe it or not, um believe it or not, from the Instagram page I've made, I have, uh, I've, over the course of lockdown, decided to become even more of an old person than I already am. I've taken up knitting. Um, I made a rainbow scarf. I'm currently working on a Doctor Who scarf. Um, and then I think I'll make a jumper, but at the minute my hands are aching, so I'm taking a bit of a break. <laughs> and just to, to give a shout out to that Instagram page, Angelina. Oh, oh yes, it's called the noisy knitter because I'm knitting and I'm very noisy and annoying. The, as noi- the noisy knitter. Go, go follow, go follow, and also go follow to keep it current Instagram page. You know, some great stuff and some great pictures of Jacob as well. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm <the> all. <laughs> okay, so um, let's go more on the politics side of the thing, Dewey. Uh, what's your overall opinion on the government's management of the coronavirus crisis? Goodness me. Um... That's quite a big question. It's quite difficult for me to give you an answer there because I don't know what I would be like if I was the government of this country. Um, I imagine it would be quite a difficult job and I don't envy them for a second. But, I mean, from my perspective as a normal layperson, um, I think I think they have made uh, quite a few big mistakes uh, over the crisis. And I think a lot of these were to do with the lack of preparation. So, for example, with testing, Britain was one of the first countries to develop a coronavirus test. Mm -hmm. And yet very early on in this pandemic, um, the UK government said that only the most ill cases would be tested, uh, which meant that at the very beginning, uh, the BBC was saying that we had 100,000 more cases um, actually appearing per day. And yet only a small fraction of these were being detected and the rest were um, being spread through the community, meaning that um, COVID-19 was being transmitted very easily um, to other people. Now, comparing this to places like Germans, Germany, which had a very much uh, decentralised testing infrastructure, so they had labs, hospitals, special drive-in places all over the country. Um, in the UK, mm-hmm. we just had one hospital uh, or one yeah. lab facility centre, uh, and they were testing 500 people a day, which it doesn't really compare. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's very difficult to develop the right infrastructure, but we should have had... Um, I mean, there should be more communication with labs early on mm-hmm. to make sure that they had what better prepared, I guess, to test. Um, and I mean, the PPE as well. We had we had stories of doctors mm-hmm. and nurses using out of date PPE and uh, using it for too long. And then there was mm-hmm. the whole thing with uh, all this faulty PPE being ordered from Turkey. But that said, I say all this with hindsight. Uh, at the time, we didn't know how big yeah. this was going to be mm-hmm. necessarily. 
Uh, it's very easy to say, oh, we should have got more testing equipment, we should have got more PPE. But these things have expiry dates, and if we'd stocked up on all the, this, um, the, these uh, things, um, we could have lost potentially quite a lot of money uh, for little gain. And I mean, even Professor Neil Ferguson, um, he was the... Uh, yeah, the Professor Lockdown, so called. ...that if we'd locked down two week, uh, a week earlier, it would have halved the number of deaths. Uh, however, he also went on to say that at the time, the measures that were taken were um, were reasonable mm-hmm. um, because of how much we knew at the time. And I think the government has done some good things. So, for example, with the massive increase of NHS care bed uh, mm-hmm. capacity, we never ran out of beds unlike places yeah. like Italy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... And Dizzy, can, can I ask, so your mum works in the NHS, what's it been like from her perspective? From her perspective, I, um, it's sort of been very very variable. So we're talking around um, uh, Easter, Good Friday, it was very busy um, and there were quite a lot of um, obviously ill patients and uh, ill hospital staff and that's around where the peak was. Um, and from what I'm told, uh, around that time, quite a lot of the cases, the new cases they were, that they were finding, and this was during lockdown, of course, was that a lot of the new cases were coming from inpatients. So often okay. in the hospital, what happened was uh, patients who were COVID positive or suspected to have COVID, they would, for some reason, be placed mm-hmm. on a negative ward, um, resulting in a bit of an outbreak. Um, That's great insight there, Debbie. My mum's perspective, she, she works at Cumbria, uh, Carlisle Hospital, mm-hmm. she's never been lacking for PPE, however also she's not been working on the intensive care uh, wards where they need the, the proper surgical gowns and things like that, so mm-hmm. it's a bit different. That's very very good insight there, Debbie. So, um, uh, just going on to... She doesn't uh, like the mask, she almost passed <laughs> out in one the other day because it was so hot. Oh, gosh. Um, just to go on about um, what you're saying about testing, we're still getting a great deal of positive tests, and um, obviously we've yeah. seen recently with Leicester that they've had an abundance of them, and they've gone on a local lockdown. Yeah. So, do you think that overall the whole of um, England, let's just say England, because obviously Scotland, Wales vary, uh, do yeah, you think that the lockdown restrictions in England are being eased too quickly? Um, personally, I don't think they are because well I, I should go on to say I'm not a scientist I don't have access mm-hmm. to all the RA yeah, data yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, all these statistic things that these clever people use and mm-hmm. um, but looking at the daily figures that are published each day deaths are continuing to go down in each week and um, cases as far as aware are still going down uh, especially and what's important to take into account is the percentage of um positive uh, tests as uh, from the total number so very early on we had like 20,000 a day and maybe 5,000 of them mm-hmm. were positive now we have maybe close to I'm not sure yeah. it's definitely over 100,000 a day mm-hmm. but it's more like a few thousand are positive so it's yeah. a quite a big percentage there um, but in terms of uh, easing of restrictions I think we have to think about how the restrictions are being eased. Mm -hmm. So people who are vulnerable, like the elderly and people who have serious underlying health conditions to the point that they need to shield, they are still being recommended to shield. People who want to stay at home and don't feel safe going to shops or who won't feel safe going to pubs or restaurants, they can stay at home if that's uh, what they feel is the right thing to do. However, all of these places, shops, pubs, restaurants, they are all being made to follow COVID-secure guidelines. It's not people just... The majority of times, it's not people ramming into each other and coughing on each other. Yeah. They are being asked to stay two metres away and sanitise their hands. Yeah. And pub, uh, pubs are going to have quite interesting measures um, in regards to being COVID secure. Yeah. So I think some places are going to limit how many points, pints you can have or how much time you can yeah, spend there. Yeah, times, I think, as well, I've heard. Exactly. And in some ways, the, uh, the easing restrictions is going to be quite helpful for some very vulnerable people. For example, um, recently it was announced that people could be in social bubbles if they were living on their own. And for somebody who's really lonely and who's been struggling with their mental health over COVID, uh, over lockdown, I think that could be really beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, so indeed. there have been insights in that sense. To reason just, to, just to interject, um, lots of our listeners, of course, will know you, Gibby, but you say you're not a scientist and that uh, you're not one of these clever people, but you're, you're, you're certainly 
one of the cleverest people I know, and I'm sure Thomas <laughs> would agree, you're an offer holder for medicine at Oxford, which is yeah. uh, one of the most competitive courses there. You've just, a mere few hours ago, we went to a bookshop together and you purchased a book about, I don't even understand what it was about, but it was something to do with science and medicine, and no doubt you'll read it very quickly and understand it and have lots of interesting insights and questions and do further reading on it. So Dibby is one of the most highly qualified guests we've had on in a in I was gonna say in a long time. I don't mean to degrade any any of the other guests Chad might be offended inside. by that, Jacob. Chad's no, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I want I want to uh, uh, let me rephrase that and say that Divi offers a particularly great insight yeah, from that, a that, medical and a scientific perspective. That, that's the main reason why Dibby has come on to the show. So as somebody who is going to study... That and I'll money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of my pet nags um, over the lockdown has been um, looking at Facebook comments um, and just being annoyed by people uh, voicing all these opinions without facts. <laughs> and so I, I, I want to just clarify that I don't necessarily have evidence of what I say isn't necessarily true or yeah, I, Most people who come on there, even myself and Jacob, we don't necessarily have loads of evidence when we're trying to make a point, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, right. So, as somebody who's obviously, going... Obviously, what, what we say, we've, we've read we've read a lot and we, we've seen statistics and, and so it's, it's different plucking an opinion out of thin air to having a well-founded opinion but not being able yeah. to to cite the statistics and the studies from the top of our tongues. Yeah, so as somebody who is going to study medicine at the prestigious, well, hopefully going to study medicine at the prestigious uh, University of Oxford, so um, do you think that the coronavirus is going to be around for the long term for, like, even when you mm -hmm. go into, uh, like, say, if you become a doctor, and do you think it'll be something that you'll come across when going further along? Yeah. Um. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, uh, I mean, there was there was a lot of talk very early on about the corona, uh, the COVID nineteen potentially burning out. Um, but the only way that you ever get rid of a disease, um, er eradicate it really, is by uh, mass vaccination. And the WHO has uh, said before that only two uh, conditions, have, uh, two diseases, have ever been eradicated. Those are smallpox and rinderpest. And um, to eradicate COVID nineteen, what would we what we'd need to do is um, vaccinate everybody, and that's difficult because one of the problems actually with um, mass producing vaccines is getting those little glass uh, containers or syringes that you inject the, the vaccine into people with, because these are going to be really sterile. You don't want to accidentally inject someone with a, a deadly bacterium, for, for instance, and um, that will make well an active yeah. deadly bacterium, um, and produce these sterile containers um, you have you've got they're produced in places with really clean air uh, really clean surfaces just you know very sterile and that's difficult to mass produce eight million eight, eight billion sorry of these under um, so what I see happening personally um, is that the most if we do have a successful vaccine coming up anytime soon mm -hmm. the most vulnerable people will probably uh, be able to have access to it as will uh, frontline healthcare yeah. workers because these are the people that are most at risk perhaps mm -hmm. of uh, uh, of contracting the virus yeah. and maybe getting ill with it. yeah um i think it's it's very rare that um an outbreak um, will go away completely. If you look at Ebola, for instance, when was that, 2014? That was huge in um, West Africa at the time. Yeah, but there's been surges of Ebola in different cases, regions yeah. since then. Yeah. It's a sort of thing that might lie dormant in different parts of the world. It might spread, it might suddenly surge up. But only time will tell, I mm -hmm, think. Mm -hmm. So, uh, going back a few weeks now, uh, Divi, uh, just, just to see what your opinion was on this, it was the Dominic Cummings saga, or, or Cumgate, as we call it on here. Cumgate. <laughs> so, yes. what, what's your opinion on that? Uh, I don't... I don't want to get too political here, but I don't like Dominic Cummings. I, I don't like. I, I don't like the whole Brexit thing. I don't really like him as a person, particularly from what I know of him. But um, I'm kind of in two minds about this. Okay, so if I, I, I don't think of him as somebody I really dislike, and just as a normal guy, a normal person. Yeah. I can almost justify it to myself. Lockdown had just started. It was about a week in, and um, his wife's ill. He's worried he might get ill. He's worried his child might get ill. Who will look after the child? Oh, yeah. if I go to see my parents, it'll probably be okay. I can see how somebody could justify that yeah. to themselves. 
But um, it wasn't just that. It was the fact that he went to Barnard Castle to yeah. uh, test his eyesight. Um, if you're driving, you should, you should be quite convinced that your eyesight yeah. is good in the first yeah. place. And this, to me, just seems such a blatant lie in treating the British public like idiots. I just mm -hmm. felt that as a bit of an insult. And yeah. I... When you said that, um, I, I kind of lost mm -hmm. any potential sympathy that was there. Um, yeah. So, uh, the final question for you, Libby, is um, once the restrictions have been fully eased, like no more social distancing and stuff like that, what will be the first thing that you will do? Fully eased. Fully eased. First thing I, I would want to do is... Um, book a holiday. Uh, in fact, my parents have already been looking at her. The other day, they, they called me downstairs and said, we were looking at going away on the 10th of July. And the only reason I said no was because I was going to be working then. Um, but it was, I think the first thing I will do is probably get to the house and get quite drunk. And go to a party. Yeah. Go to yeah. a party. Enjoy <laughs> myself. Okay, so thank you very much for answering those questions, Divi. So yes, now we're going to play a game of Guess Who's Talking? Yes. So uh, in this game, yourself and Jacob are going up against each other. So, uh, okay. So I'm going uh, to. So I didn't ask you to prepare anything because I've got quotes for both of you. So uh, I'll give you both four different quotes. And you have to match them up with one of the four politicians I give you. So, Jacob is going first. So I, I just want to say, so I didn't know about this, but I, I, I'm a competitive guy at the best of times. But me and Divi, I think we weren't particularly competitive. We <laughs> yeah, yeah. right back to commendations in year seven. Mm -hmm. So I'm feeling really now quite, yeah, this, quite this on is, edge. This is, this is why I thought this would be good for you two, given that you've known each other for so long. And... Great friends, of course, so I just thought this would be good. So, Jacob, here are your quotes. <laughs> okay. Okay, number one. We are a global power, active and responsible on the world stage. This will never change. Number two. No dream is too big. No challenge is too great. Nothing we want for our future is beyond our reach. Number three. One man's wage increase is another man's price increase. And number four, I don't feel comfortable with luxury, and I try to stay fairly normal. So your politicians are J.K. Reid. Uh, number one, Vince Cable. Number two, Harold Wilson. Number three, Pretty Patel. And number four, Donald Trump. So which ones go with which? Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so we are... Oh, oh... Oh my goodness, I don't know. Um, okay, so one man's wage increase is another man's price increase. In the 1960s, and then especially the 1970s, there, there was a big problem with, with wage increases, with unions that were very powerful, many would say too powerful, some would obviously disagree. Um, and Harold, Harold Wilson was the Prime Minister during that period. He came up with, in, in, in place of strife, a white paper designed to, um, design to limit the power of the unions. He entered into voluntary agreements with them over prices, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I think that one about wage increase, price increase, I think that's Harold Wilson. Okay. Um, um, so there's one about global, global power, and that will never change. Now, Initially, I thought, well, that's something a UK, a British politician would say because we're constantly trying to reassure ourselves that actually yeah. we're more than just a, a small island. Um, um, having said that, it could fit in with Trump and his America first rhetoric. Uh, what was the one about dream, challenge and future? Uh, no dream is too big, no challenge is too great, nothing we want for our future is beyond our reach. Now you see, um, Vince, I can't, I just can't imagine Vince Cable saying that, oh, pretty Patel, really. It sounds a bit wishy-washy for Trump. Um, so there's, there's one about luxury and normal. Yeah, I don't feel comfortable with luxury and I try to stay fairly normal. 
Okay, sure to God that can't be Trump. Sure, surely not. So that's either Patel or or Cable. I'm gonna say that's Vince Cable. Maybe it's something he said on Strictly. I don't know. Maybe so it is when people that, get I don't feel comfortable with luxury Vince Cable. You going for? Yep, I'll go global power, and that will never change. Um, I'll put that as pretty Patel. And so then Trump can go on with a dream challenge future. Okay, so Jacob, what I'm going to do is I'm not going to reveal your score until after Angelina's played. So. Oh no, you're going so, to face me in purgatory. So, okay, so here are your quotes, Angelina. Number one, I have never been to Ikea. What? Number two, never in my life did I think I would be congratulated by Mick Jagger for achieving anything. Number three, when you've got a society that is diverse, what happens is for a time. The issue is integrating your minorities into that society. And number four is, if you're walking down the right path and you're willing to keep walking, eventually you'll make progress. And your politicians are Barack Obama, Boris Johnson, Jacob Rees-Mogg and Gordon Brown. Could you repeat the politicians? So I'm just writing all these yeah, down. Yeah, Bar- Barack Obama, Boris Johnson, mm-hmm. Jacob Rees-Mogg, and Gordon Brown. Let me have a think. See, the thing is, Jacob obviously said he was very nervous. I'm not, and the reason I'm not is because I don't do politics as an A level. So. I'm not- well, that, that's, no, that's, that's no excuse. That's no excuse. You're a woman of the world, Angelina. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, go on, Divi. Continue. Uh, right. Okay. And who was it? Jacob Rees-Mogg. And sorry, uh, I'm sorry. Can you read out the last one? The last, the last quote. quote. Sorry. Yeah. If you're walking down the right path, and you're willing to keep walking, eventually you'll make progress. I can kind of see Obama saying that, so I'll put Obama for this one, that one. Okay. I don't know, I've already watched politician speeches, they just depress me. <laughs> uh, oh. Mick Jagger, ooh. I can't uh, see I've, it. I've, I've, I've put them down, for, uh, my, my answer's done, just to, out of interest. <laughs> oh, great. I'm going to feel even worse now when you get all mine right. Thank you. I couldn't see any of them getting corrected by Mick Jagger, and I couldn't see Jacob Rees-Mogg knowing who Mick Jagger is. Um, I, I think Jacob Rees-Mogg has never been to IKEA. He he just gets all his wood uh, uh, properly cut by professional craftsmen. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Jacob Rees. Uh, uh, if he has been to IKEA, that might have slightly increase my opinion of him. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Mick Jagger. Um, I feel like I'm not sure now. I don't know. Boris seems too professional to suddenly bring Mick Jagger. Well, I don't know. <laughs> 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 yeah, because because those two words going together. I, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, well, I don't think Boris is very up with current trends because you can tell that by his and hair. Mick, Mick so Jagger. No, you think Mick Jagger's been about for years, so he got to. I think so, but I, I just don't think. I just can't see Boris having much knowledge. Okay. Everyday life, okay, really. So, are you going with Gordon Brown? For Mick Jagger. Uh, was congratulated Mick Jagger. I don't know what for. And uh, Bojo wanted to integrate the minorities. And that, that's exactly what I put. Those four. <laughs> oh, my word. So. Oh, wow. The final, Very nice think alike. The final, the final scores on the doors are... Angelina, you got two points. Oh, yes. Yeah, the Boris Johnson and Gordon Brown ones were the ones that you mixed up. Gordon Brown wanted to integrate society and uh, Boris Johnson got congratulated by Mick Jagger. And Jacob Reed, you got what, a grand total of four points, Jacob Reed. <laughs> So Jacob Reed wins four points to two. Oh, 
that that was a stroke of luck on my part, Angelina. But so, nevertheless, I'm glad to have been. Thank you. But... I'm not. I let you win with that one. Well done. So thank well, you both for playing. Well, I let you win. Well done. Well done. You won. So, Dewey, uh, now it's time. Now it's time for you to play political snog, marry, avoid. So uh, this is this is political snog marry avoid. I'll give you three politicians, and all you have to do is say which one you'll snog, which one you'll marry, and which one you'll avoid. So let got... me let me just interject and say that Dibby and her mum. Is it right that you've already been playing a version of this over lockdown? <laughs> With the daily briefings, um, now and again, mm -hmm. just deciding which of the politicians we think is more physically. Um, what was your judgment? We, do you and your mother have similar tastes in men? Um, I don't know. Well, we, we don't particularly like any of them, but it's yeah. sort of, you know, a, a lesser of many evils. <laughs> I can't okay. this. So your first set of politicians is... Dominic Raab and Rishi Sunak, for the record, are our lesser of many evils. Your, your, your first set of politicians are Jeremy Corbyn. Keir oh, Starmer okay. and Ed Miliband. Ed Miliband, ooh. Is Dibby, you got a, a selfie with Jeremy Corbyn. I did get a selfie with Jeremy Corbyn. Ooh, ooh, okay, okay. Um, I'm not, okay. Well, Keir Starmer, I don't know, I, I don't, I, I, I wasn't, he wasn't my top choice for the new Labour leader. Um, but I'm sure he'll do a great job, but I don't know much about him, so I think I'll, I'll avoid him for now. Um, so now I've got a choice between marrying Corbyn and Ed Miliband. Or Snoggy either. Ooh. See, Jeremy Corbyn's got a beard. I, that, that wouldn't be fun to snog. It'll be too itchy. <laughs> Am I saying this? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, and also Jeremy Corbyn's much more politically aligned to me personally, I think. Um, we're both kind of very left. Okay, so I'm gonna marry good old Jezza. Okay. Um, I got a spell with him, so you know we're, we're best buds, me and him. And I'll I'll give Ed Miliband a good old snog. Okay, so your second set. A bit of bacon. Bit of bacon. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, um, okay, your second set of politicians I think is a lot worse. <laughs> You've got Jacob oh, Rees-Mogg. Jacob Rees-Mogg, Boris Johnson, and Theresa May. Oh my goodness. Hmm. Okay, I just have something against Jacob Rees-Mogg. If you can name your child, sixth, your sixth child, Sixtus, I, I think there is uh, something wrong there. So I'm going to avoid Jacob Rees-Mogg. Mm -hmm. um, hmm. Bojo or Theresa May? I, I wouldn't be, I couldn't marry Bojo. Imagine having to walk out with somebody with like, hair that looks like Trump's it'll be it could almost look like I'm going out with Trump which is not the kind of image I want to give for myself so I think I'm going to marry Theresa May okay um I don't quite swing that way but we'll, I will marry Theresa May and I'll give Bojo a snog okay uh, right your third set of politicians are Nick Clegg Rishi Sunak and Michael Gove Nick Clegg Rishi Sunak and Michael Gove Michael Gove he destroyed education. He destroyed GCSEs. He he can be avoided nice and happily. Um, Rishi Sunak, I'll snog, and Nick Clegg, I'll marry because um, he's less right than the other two. Mm -hmm. And uh, at least he introduced gay marriage, which is is nice for yeah. people. It was his idea. I think. Okay. The Dem's idea. So your yeah. fourth uh, set of politicians is Tony Blair. Margaret Thatcher and David Cameron. David Cameron, okay. Ooh, okay. I don't like David Cameron, so I'm going to avoid him. Um, I, I don't... Ooh, I don't want to avoid him. The other two just kind of cause wars and steal children's milk. Um... <laughs> you know what, actually, I think I'll marry David Cameron because he's slightly better than the other two. Um... I mm -hmm. will snog Nick Clegg and I will avoid Margaret Thatcher because uh, I, I quite like having milk in 
Well, she's a chemist. She's a chemist. Oh. oh. She's also dead, so I'll avoid her. <laughs> so, what, what happened to Tony Blair? You're... I think I'm snogging Tony Blair, apparently. Okay, and you're marrying David Cameron. So, <laughs> I know. It's ter- that's a terrible I know, one. I don't want any. I want to Yeah, he, 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 he forgets where he puts his children, so, you know, it's... Um... <laughs> okay, your final set of politicians are Matt Hancock, Rory Stewart, and Vince Cable. I forgot what Vince Cable looks like. Let me just. It looks like it doesn't matter. I just forgot who he is. He's liberal like Democrat. He's a, oddly, yeah. Oh, he's that guy. Um, okay, so Rory Stewart uh, or Matt Hancock. I think I'll avoid Vince Cable. Uh, Vince, yeah, Vince Cable. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's it. Um, uh, I'm gonna avoid him. So choice between Rory the Tory and good old Matt. Well, Matt's health secretary, so we might have find something in common to talk about. I think I'll marry Matt. Um, yeah. And I think uh, I, I guess I am compelled to snog Rory the Tory. <laughs> ah, indeed. So, thank you oh, very please. much for playing Physical Snow Mary for me, and thank you very much for coming on. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you. And, You're very welcome. Thank good you insight, for having me here, Tom. A good insight into... A great insight to more of the scientific stuff around the pandemic. So, and I'll be sure, I'll have to give you, or will I give it to Jacob to pass on to you or something like that, the Keeping Current Pin Badge. I'll have to give you on them, you know? For coming down oh on gosh, the show. Yeah, oh, no, it's like the Blue Peter badge, but it's just for the uh, my lockdown. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, so thanks for coming on again, Angelina. It's been great to speak to you. You as well, Thomas. Take care, uh, Thomas and Jacob. Um, can I okay. leave? So cool. now it's time for the return of political singaphon. <laughs> This is Political Singathon, the part of the show where I put political spin on a well-known song. This week I'm destroying It Must Be Loved by Madness. So, this is It Must Be Lockdown. See what I see. If, oh, it's fantastic. I see, what, I see what you did there, Thomas. <laughs> I see what I did. Here we go. I never thought I'd stay inside half as much (laughs) as I did. And I never thought I'd feel this way, the way I feel (laughs) about this. As soon as I wake up (laughs) every day, Feels like night. Why does every day feel like it's another Sunday? It must be lock, lock down. It must be lock, lock down. Nothing worse, nothing less. Lockdown is the worst. How have we done this? Staying apart for so long? Bless you and bless me. Bless the NHS and Captain Tom. I've got to stay away every night, every day. It's really hard to stay two meters away. It must be lock, lock down. It must be lock, lock down. Nothing worse, nothing less. Lockdown is the worst. Do do do, 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 do 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 do. Come on everyone, I want to hear you singing, but I can't hear you singing, but sing!
Soon as I wake up, every day feels like night. Why does every day feel like it's another Sunday? It must be lock, lock down, doo doo. It must be lock, lock down. Well, nothing less, lockdown is the worst. It must be lock, lock down. 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 Nothing worse, nothing less, lockdown is the worst. Hey, there we go. Oh, what do you think about Jacob uh, Reed? I think I think that's gonna be a chart topper. I really I do. I know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, everyone be singing all night. It must be lock, lock down. Dorum. Really good. Like, I don't know how you came up with the rhythm as well. It's so catchy. I know. Yeah. I uh, I I just came up with the song. You know. It's it. Uh, the, the the rhythm, you know, the beats, it just all came together. It's completely like I didn't take it from another band, you know. But it just it was a stroke of um of inspiration while you were sitting on the toilet. <laughs> yeah, sitting on the toilet, you know, I was, I was just there with my pen and paper and the guitar, you know. <laughs> like, we, uh, me, we just to clarify, many a true things said in jest. <laughs> Okay, right, so now it's time for a review of this week's show. It's been a great show, hasn't it, Jacob? Oh, I think so. I, I mean, that music has just really topped it off. Indeed, indeed. Pretty singer Fonzie, you know, my, my favourite part of the show, you know, where I get to flex the creative juices, you know. So, But sadly, sadly, I know you're going to go, a collective, oh, I know, oh. That might be a yawn, because it might be too long, you know, who knows. Uh, sadly, this is the final lockdown episode, so we will be back next week. But keep an eye out for our roles reversed episode. Jacob is busy planning for it, indeed. I I am indeed. I want to say how much I've enjoyed recording this uh, this series every week oh, in, in lockdown. I really have looked forward to it every Wednesday, and it's given me a really good excuse for for two hours every week to, to, to chat with one of my best friends so oh. I'm grateful for that and I, I really really enjoyed it and looking forward to butchering the show completely while we swap roles <laughs> my mum's my very appreciative of that when she said well because I want your best friends you know <laughs> <laughs> well I did just have Thomas just nipped to the loo and I had a wonderful chat with Catherine um, and I yet again said that I really do I really do feel like she should be caller on the line, and I'm gonna make I'm gonna pull as many strings as I can to make that happen. <laughs> I am, Indeed. and there's so nothing you can do about just, it, just Thomas, because you let everybody know. For, for the Royals reverse episode, Jacob's got full creative content, control. Special guests can be who he wants. Call and like me as he wants them. He could even do his own political singer phone, you know. Uh, I I think I, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that to you, Tom. <laughs> okay, so thank you very much to this week's special guest, Angelina Sherbakova. Thank you to Jacob Reed for providing some tip-top, top-notch political analysis over the last ten weeks. And thank you very much to you guys for listening over the last ten weeks too, and keeping, and you've been very well, very good at keeping it current. Thank you so much. So be sure to join us next time, where we won't be keeping it cool. But we will be keeping it current. Goodbye.